Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we ask that you would open your words to us, that you would proclaim your gospel to each one of our hearts, Lord, that we might uh, be uh, faithful missionaries in the world uh, and, and fishers of men and women. We pray this in the name of your precious Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. You may be seated. First, I'm just going to say it's so good to see you all and be out. I've been cooped up in the house, um, as many of you, I'm sure, were. And uh, that drives me crazy. And so it's really good to be in the presence of other human beings. Um, my house is full of human beings, but it's great to see all of your faces. So I'm so, so thankful. Um, get ready because we're, I think we're, it'll be 60 degrees on Wednesday. Um, so if you think you're struggling with sinuses now, you just wait. But I welcome those. Well, even though I've been with my family, something you need to know about my family is that we have a lot of fun in the Williams household. And one of the things that gets us all laughing is my wife's notorious ability to misunderstand song lyrics. There are the classics, of course, like Elton John's Hold Me Closer, Tony Danza. You know this one, instead of Tiny Dancer. There's an obscure U2 song from their 2000 hit, Beautiful Day. The lyric actually says, Sky falls, it feels like, Beautiful Day I think is the next line, but what Janie hears is, Sky bones and felines. (laughs) Every time the song comes on, we have this debate. I don't think that's what they're saying. We have to look it up and we have a good laugh. But the one that takes the cake, and you've probably heard this, is uh, from the, the group Outcast and their 2003 hit, Hey Ya. Some of you might know this. What the lyric actually says is, shake it like a Polaroid picture, right? It's like a picture. You want to shake it to get it hit. So that's the, that's the lyric. But what Janie hears is, shake it like a pearly white preacher, So I actually wrote this down, like, don't feel too sorry for for Janie, because one of the things that I absolutely love about my wife is her ability to laugh at herself. And yes, I did have her read this before I uh, went through with preaching it. And even as she's reading it, she's laughing at herself. So it's one of her favorite things, I think. Uh, is, is to share her mis, uh, misheard lyrics, any chance that she gets. Now, I have my own misheard lyrics, but they're nowhere near as good as hers. But how about you? Have you ever heard a lyric or a phrase or a saying only to repeat it and have a room full of people burst out in laughter? You tell a joke wrong or relay a story with the facts all jumbled up. Sometimes in an honest attempt to pass along information, we can get the truth so messed up that we get ourselves or worse, others in a lot of trouble. So we need someone to set the record straight, don't we? We need to repair our narrative at times so others can understand what we're actually trying to communicate. In other words, we need to mend our story or our joke 
or yes, our song lyrics. Our gospel passage today is a very familiar story about the calling of the first disciples. Jesus finds Simon Peter and his brother Andrew casting a net into the sea. And he famously tells them to follow him and he will make them fishers of men. But next we encounter James and John. They're not casting a net, but they're mending one. And what's caught my attention this week is the significance of mending nets. So following Jesus is not just about casting the net of the gospel, but it's also about mending the net of the gospel. And as followers of Jesus, it's just as imperative for us to get the gospel straight as it is to faithfully proclaim it. So here we are in the early verses of Mark's gospel. And tonight, we, uh, tonight, verse 14 gives us a very strong signal that a significant event has occurred. John the Baptist has finally been arrested. And this is significant because he was the forerunner to the Messiah. He prepared the way for Jesus by preaching repentance and baptizing for repentance. Mark is telling us that his work is complete, and that's a signal. It's a signal that begins Jesus' public ministry. And as we've already seen, Jesus' message is quite simple. He said it in verse 14. The time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. In other words, this moment marks a shift in redemptive history. All preparations for the redemption of mankind have finally been made. Spring training is over. For It's, it's game time. The kingdom of God is finally at hand and the time has come to repent and to believe the good news. But our reading seems to move to a new episode by the Sea of Galilee, doesn't it? So no matter what our headings and our Bibles might suggest, these aren't two unrelated episodes, but they're intertwined with great meaning, which is why the lectionary keeps them together. So keeping verses 14 and 15 in mind, we first meet Simon Peter and his brother Andrew. Now, we know a whole lot about Peter, don't we? A lot more than his brother Andrew, even though it was Andrew who told Peter about Jesus in the first place. We're told that they were already going about the work of casting a net into the sea. It's, it is in the midst of this labor that Jesus calls the brothers, who promptly obey and follow him. But not without Jesus' famous words, I will make you fishers of men, or of human beings, or people, or men and women, however you want to say that. I will teach you to fish for people. I have preached on this verse, and I'm sure you've heard many sermons on it. All of Jesus' disciples are called to proclaim the kingdom of God, the good news of the gospel, by casting a wide net and catching whoever might receive that message. And this is absolutely right. Much more could and should be said about the immediate obedience to Jesus we are all called to as well. 
And just as Peter and Andrew left their nets immediately after Jesus called them, so we are to drop all that is important to us for the sake of following Jesus. But this is not the sermon that I want to preach tonight. The reason is that that this language of fishing for human beings was not suddenly thought up by Jesus right there on the spot that day. In fact, it had a long prophetic tradition in the Old Testament and not a particularly encouraging one. Commentator William Lane points out a few passages in the prophets that use this metaphor of fishing for men. And each reference makes clear that God is the fisherman. God is the fisherman. And only one of these references is a positive one, and that comes from Jeremiah. Jeremiah says that God will cast the net and catch all of the faithful Israelites like fish that have been scattered among the nations in the exile, and he will return them to Jerusalem. But the rest of the the references are about judgment. God will set hooks in the jaws of the unrighteous and the wicked, and they, that they might catch the, older fi- the other fish and all be removed from their rivers to, de- be, to be devoured by beasts and birds. Now, this is the opposite, I think, of good news, isn't it? And in part, this is the background of Jesus' use of the metaphor in our passage today. Now, as I said, this really caught me off guard this week. But it makes total sense in the light of verses 14 and 15. The whole passage of John the Baptist, the whole message, I'm sorry, of John the Baptist was that the time had drawn near and it was time to repent. Why? Because as he said in Luke chapter 3 verse 9, even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. In other words, Jesus' appearing is not just another wise man or a prophet coming to offer a better way of life. His appearing is decisive, and it carries eternal consequences for every single human being. John the Baptist could have just as well have said, the net has been cast. Every man, woman, and child will be gathered and pulled in from the sea. There's no running. There's no hiding. This is not an Oprah moment, right? This is not uh, your truth and my truth. There aren't any different rules for different people. Judgment is upon us, and every single fish will be pulled out of the sea. And here's where all the sermons that I've heard on Jesus' fishing for men metaphor fade into the background. You see, I've always imagined that what Jesus was saying to Peter and Andrew, and by extension to every Christian to ever live, are going to cast the net of the gospel. And some fish will prefer to stay in the sea of sin and wickedness, while others will swim right into the net and be spared from condemnation. But if the prophets really are in the background of the saying, that's not the image being conveyed here, is it? 
Rather, it's more in keeping with that final prophet, John the Baptist, who said that the Messiah's winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. The image that we should have in our head is closer to the reality of fishing. If you've ever been fishing, you know how varied the results can be. Amen? (laughs) I'm looking to use that, King. (laughs) If the fish are biting, right, you can be pretty selective about those that you keep and those that you want to throw back into the lake or the ocean or the river. Small, scrawny fish are good for nothing, really, while large and meaty fish are worth keeping to clean and fry up later for dinner. So it is with catching fish in a net. Uh, Not everything you catch is worth keeping. Some fish aren't edible, while others are. There may be a market for salmon, but not so much for anchovies. I hope not. But you get the idea. So what is Jesus saying? It seems like he's saying that the disciples, and particularly Peter and Andrew, after following him, carry on the work he began by proclaiming the good news of the gospel, and that all men and women should repent and believe the gospel. Why? Because by the very proclamation of the gospel, the wheat and the chaff will be separated. The fruit-bearing trees will be distinguished from the barren trees. The good fish will be kept, while the worthless fish will not. And this is the effect of proclaiming the good news of the gospel. Now you see why these aren't two separate episodes, but that verses 14 and 15 are directly connected to 16 and 17. But I also said I wanted us to focus on James and John, not Peter and Andrew. So let's look. You see, we get the impression that James and John are partners with Peter and Andrew on the, ocean, on the Sea of Galilee. And it also seems like uh, James and John are maybe younger. Here their father is mentioned, and Matthew also mentions their mother when she requests that they be seated next to Jesus when he comes in his kingdom. And moreover, they're not found fishing, are they? but mending nets. Now that sounds like something kids would be assigned while the stronger men pull in the loads of, loads of fishes from the net. But whatever the case may be, did you notice that Jesus didn't tell them that they would be fishers of men? We typically assume that what Jesus said about fishing for men would also apply to them, but I find it interesting that he only calls them after telling Peter and, John and Andrew about their man-fishing fate. So any time that we see an anomaly like this in Scripture, it's a good idea to pause and to ask what might be going on here. That's when I realized that both sets of the brothers are introduced with different verbs. Peter and Andrew are casting a net. James and John are mending one. You see, the gospel itself is the net. And because the time has been fulfilled, the kingdom of God is at hand. 
the net of the gospel is now cast. For sure, it will take time to gather all the fish in from the sea, which is why the disciples are to pay close attention to the health of the net. Always. In other words, friends, we must be vigilant to ensure that the net of the gospel is always intact. What am I talking about? Well, we live in a bit of a mess these days, don't we? A few nights ago, I woke up in a sweat, anxious about this election year that we are in the midst of. And then there's Ukraine and Russia, Israel and Gaza. There seems to be no good news. And then all of the infighting in the church. Has the Pope lost his mind? What will become of the Anglican communion? And what's going on with the Methodists? Am I an evangelical or an ex-evangelical? Am I something else completely? And what causes do I support? And can I be friends with those I disagree with? And what is exactly the gospel? Is your gospel the same as my gospel, or is it another gospel entirely? In other words, am I hearing the lyrics right? Or do I inherit some fully half gospel, faulty half gospel from my parents or the church growing up? What I want to suggest to you tonight is that this question is not as difficult as it might seem. Do you not have to go to seminary? read Augustine or Thomas Aquinas or write a dissertation on the various atonement theories on offer out there. Instead, what we see in our gospel text is that if the tune we are humming, the song that we are singing doesn't contain the imperative to repent, it can be no gospel at all. Because at the end of the day, we are all going to be caught like fish in a net and he will separate us like wheat from chaff, herring from tilapia, for example. Therefore, we must cast the net of the gospel, yes, that others might also repent. But we must always make sure that our gospel is mended, that it contains the message of repentance as well as forgiveness like two threads being tied back together in a vast net. Otherwise, we have no gospel to proclaim. Now, we've been praying recently that Mission St. James will faithfully proclaim the gospel in the city of Jackson. And it's fitting for us to ask two questions to this end. First, am I casting the net like Peter and Andrew and Second, am I mending the net like James and John? You see, it's entirely possible to do one while neglect the other. We can have a great theology. Our gospel can be tight and well understood. But unless we cast that net, it just remains worthless at the bottom of the boat, doesn't it? And on the other hand... Casting the, uh, on the other hand, we could share the good news that the kingdom of God is at hand, casting the net far and wide. But unless we say repent and believe, like Jesus did, like John the Baptist did, the net will catch nothing. 
We must, must both cast and mend the net of the gospel. And there are many false gospels out there that promise happiness and self-affirmation without repentance and faith. This is what Dietrich Bonhoeffer called cheap grace. Friends, this is a sure way for the world to misunderstand the song that we are singing in the church. Faithful proclamation or net casting doesn't mean we have to use big words or be unnecessarily confrontational. It's the simplest songs that are also the clearest, aren't they? So make sure the good news that we sing conveys both the joy of the gospel and the refrain of repentance. Because the axe is laid at the root, his winnowing fork is in his hand. And no one is safe from the net of the gospel. And if our friends and neighbors misunderstand that lyric, it will be far worse for them and for us than a room full of laughter. Heavenly Father, we ask that you would make the gospel clear to us, that we would keep mending the nets. Help us to be faithful in casting the nets like Peter and Andrew. But help us always stay on point to make sure that we are both proclaiming the kingdom of God and that it's at hand and that we are to repent and to believe and to have faith. Help us to keep the gospel intact so that our work, our labor in your name in this city would not be in vain, but be to your glory. We pray this in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.